Welcome back to the Connecting Minds podcast. Christian Jordanov here. Today, our guest is Brenda Carey. She's a spiritual and sensitive soul who is on a mission to empower empaths and healers to share their light. Her purpose is to inspire others from her own personal transformation of the struggles from spinal fusion surgery and autoimmune issues to embrace each day with gratitude. She is a holistic healer utilizing her training as an Ayurvedic lifestyle coach, Reiki master, sacred ceremony facilitator, yoga and meditation teacher to create vibrant health. Brenda is the owner of Sacred Path Healing, a co-host on the Be The Love podcast and hosts retreats in the US and internationally. When she's not on her yoga mat, you can find her hiking in the mountains of Montana. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Christian. I am so looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. You sound like the stuff you're engaged in, Reiki, sacred ceremonies, hiking. You're, it sounds like you're living the dream there in Montana. I, I feel like I am. It took me a while to get here, though. I can't say that I would have even identified with you know, being a, a yoga and meditation teacher, uh, I think, you know, friends from my past and family would be like, wait, you do what now? Wait. Yeah. So I think I've, I've had an interesting healing journey that got me to this point. I mean, filled with struggles and pain for sure. And I still have those. I'm not saying life is picture perfect and always rainbows and unicorns there. But yeah. I feel like now I, I've learned resiliency and tools to get me through the really, really challenging times, which we've all been through. Oh, absolutely. And so let's, let's actually talk about your health journey. When did it start? Um, I, I know there's some serious stuff going on there. Yeah, actually, it started in adolescence. So when I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, which your listeners aren't familiar with, that's a curvature of the spine. Most surgeons have no idea how it starts. Some say it's genetic. Some say it's, you know, lifestyle choices. There's no definite, you know, reason for a lot of people. And so consequently, the Western medicine protocol is like, let's wait and see. And so that's what I did. And eventually, a couple years later, during my teenage years, I was put in, I, I lovingly called it my plastic corset. It was literally like a plastic back brace. And so I, I didn't question the doctor. Like this was just standard protocol. Consequently, I didn't really learn how to breathe properly. I mean, think of like the tightness of a corset, which was, yes, supposed to stop the continuing curvature of the spine. But inevitably, a few years later, I'm 18 years old and it actually did not stop the curvature. It kept going. And so surgery was the next step. So at 19 years old, the surgeon gently pushed my spine over. And so I have less of a degree of curvature. I still have scoliosis. I think that's one thing that unfortunately, when any kind of spinal fusion, people will think, oh, when I get the surgery, then it'll be fixed and the pain will go away. And I'm here to lovingly say, not, not true. So it's just a different set of issues. So, and I have these two metal rods placed along most of the middle of my back to hold it in place and to prevent it from curving. So that started in my teenage years and I had complications with the surgery, which led to digestive issues. It was just kind of this downward spiral. Um, I had some serious reactions to the anesthesia 
and really kind of came out in worse shape from the surgery than when I went in at a young age. Yeah, I mean, that's how many times have we heard the similar story that you go in and and uh, they just make it worse. It's like uh, we know that after cancer and heart disease, the, the leading cause, the third leading cause of death is iatrogenic, a.k.a medical wearers, you know, drugs. So it's it's sad. It's sad that, you know, that's kind of the state of medicine nowadays. You know, we can help a lot of people in emergency situations, but anytime there's a chronic condition like that, it's just it it looks like they're that we're helpless to do anything about it. Yeah. And and I did really feel like and at the time, I wouldn't have recognized it, but I did give a lot of my power away. And keep in mind, I'm in my you know late teens, going into my early 20s. I came with the family of, you know, just do what the doctor says. Don't question it. Doctor knows best. And I mean, this is back in the you know late 80s, early 90s. So that, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow protocol and it's going to work out. And after a long recovery period, it did feel a little bit better until the body does what it's naturally designed to do. So when it recognized, huh, these metal rods in the back create so much rigidity and no flexion, like I had no spinal flexion, very limited rotation, which I still have to this day. So the other areas of my spine, so like higher up into my neck and in my lumbar spine started to overcompensate. And so then I had hypermobility, which that caused me pain, which that led to a whole other string of of pain issues as well. So it can really be so emotionally challenging. And I think that's the aspect of post-surgery that's not always addressed. The emotional roller coaster that we go through thinking, okay, this issue was supposed to be fixed with surgery and, you know, the medication. And then a couple or a few years down the road, new issues crop up along with maybe even some of the old issues resurfacing. And so it's just this emotional roller coaster spiral. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even I went um, at the beginning of the month, I went to get my uh, mercury fillings removed safely. And they gave me, I think, like 14 or 15 shots of anesthetic, local anesthetic around the teeth. Which is you know three 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 to four per tooth because uh, there was four of them to 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 remove and man I the the next three or four days I felt so lousy and I I kind of chalk it up to the the anesthesia I can't think of I, I there was they were following protocol for me to not inhale or ingest any mercury vapor so it must have been just the, my body just being poisoned from the anesthesia and taking a while to to get over it you know so i can only imagine like when you're you know um younger or let's say someone with a less developed still immune system or detoxification system i can only imagine how much worse these things can be but just before we kind of move on to your the positive side of your journey your health Mm -hmm. journey do you remember was there some type of trauma that preceded the scoliosis was there anything anything you could pinpoint it to there really wasn't anything. In fact, you know, there wasn't any, you know, ancestors or, you know, grandparents before. Granted, 
back then, they didn't really do much for spinal issues back in, I mean, we're talking like the 20s, 30s, 40s. They, you know, just said, hey, you can work. You're fine. You're good. Uh, <laughs> you ring the bells, Quasimodo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there, I didn't identify any trauma that was mine. Now, in hindsight, and we could go down, you know, a spiritual wormhole with this as I've really dived into some generational and ancestral healing, I think there definitely could have been some you know, emotional and spiritual issues attached to spine because the energetics of our spine is how supported we feel in this life. I didn't realize that till till many years later. But for many of us, we we don't feel supported in this lifetime or we haven't, you know, throughout the generations. Interesting. Yeah. If you want, let's explore that. Uh, you know, we can explore that after. Let's talk about how. So what what helped you turn this whole thing around? Because you clear you clear in our are using your experience to help others heal. So clearly the, there was let's say, quote-unquote, a method to the universe's madness, right? To ruffle, to ruffle you so hard. It's like the, the, the wounded healer in terms of the, the shaman. You know, they have to be broken apart, torn apart, and then pieced back together, and then they can, you know, do the good work. So what, what do you kind of, you can give us the more esoteric spiritual side and you can give us kind of the more material aspect in terms of this world. What, what do you think? Or rather, how did... The, the journey developed from there. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a multifaceted journey over many years. Honestly, initially, it started with um, taking my first yoga class because I was in my early 20s at the time, really struggling with pain along my spine, not where the rods, the metal rods were, but where they were not because, again, they were hypermobile. And so my mom actually had said, well, why don't you just try yoga? She had been taking a class. She's like, and at this point, I'm like, well, I really couldn't, couldn't do any worse at this point. And so I went to this very gentle yoga class. Keep in mind, I'm in my early 20s. The instructor looks like she's 100 years old, <laughs> but she looks fabulous. And I thought that's, you know, like, that's what I want, you know, to age gracefully. And I'm not going to say that, and this is a typical story, you'll hear people say, oh, once I did yoga for the first time, I loved it and I did it forever. That's not my story. I got on that first time on my yoga mat and went, oh my gosh, this is not only physically painful, I had to relearn how my body moved because it had so many different limitations than what I was used to. So it was like, starting from scratch. Like, okay, this is what my body can do safely. This is what it cannot do. So the self-awareness flooded in on a physical level. And then being still on my mat at the end when we're at Shavasana was absolute torture for me. Like I had to sit there, it was probably five minutes, if that, and listen to my thoughts. And I think that was the wake up call for me. I had not really sat with the negative self-talk that was flowing through my mind that had probably been going on since adolescence, since being in a back brace and feeling literally caged in and confined physically, but that also translates mentally and emotionally. And so I started and stopped and started and stopped yoga for probably a couple years because it was like I could only take on so much and this is the trauma work. You know, I wouldn't have called it back then. I, I didn't know what that was, but eventually began to soften 
some of that negative self-talk. And I'm still so appreciative of you know, my first yoga teacher and the ones after that, which eventually led into meditation and really started to witness my thoughts. And once I truly embodied the belief that I am not my thoughts and I am so much more than the criticism and the identities and the roles that either I took on or somebody else had given me, you know, the girl with the crooked back, like that had left such an impression that to work through some of those labels and realize, no, I am not, I am so much more and I am not those thoughts. So it was definitely this slow work in progress of being in my body. And I think that's so important for people to hear. When when we're in physical pain, honestly, the last thing we sometimes wanna do is move our body because we're just trying to protect it. We're trying to not create more pain and suffering. However, we are, as humans, like we are designed to move. Like we have all these cool joints that do all these really amazing things, you know, we're designed to move. And even with, and I think this is part of my story, even with limitations, even with, as I lovingly call it, my spare parts (laughs) that I have along my spine, it is totally possible to move. And so that was the start of the embodiment, like physically moving, and then really starting to notice the workings of the mind. And that starts the self-healing journey. Yeah, I think the the the, the way you say journey is, is very apt because I don't even think there's a, a finish line, you know, with- Not at the, all. Yeah, even the stuff I'm, I guess <clears throat> I was about 19 when I sort of, started waking up to the fact that I, I have thoughts and that there's an observer behind the thoughts. <clears throat> but um, that doesn't mean that you, you're enlightened now and everything is going to be fine <laughs> or, or whatever. Or suddenly, you know, all your, all your troubles will vanish because it's also easy to let the monkey mind or the egoic mind completely take over. And I, I can actually see sometimes where I'm, I'm in a sort of whirl, whirlwind in, in of negativity, one mm-hmm. thought feeding on the next thought. And then I, I suddenly kind of like, you know, take a deep breath or whatever, or a breath is all it, just a conscious breath is all it's required. And you're just like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm here. The thoughts are there. I'm here, you know? So I talk, talk to us more about the, how the, the meditation then changed uh, your, I suppose your your inner inner self talk, which I think is such a big source for many of us of of additional suffering on top of the pain we already are, are um, undergoing. Mm. Well, I loved how you brought up take a breath because that was actually the first, I guess you could call it formal meditation. I learned was observing the breath, and the first thing that I realized, and this is actually I think a chronic issue for many people, is that I was a reverse breather. And a lot of people who do have spinal issues or even abdominal issues don't realize that. So just a quick recap of how we're supposed to breathe. When we inhale, like the belly fills up like a balloon. And then when we exhale, it deflates and softens. And for many people stuck in even just low grade fight or flight, we do the opposite. So when we inhale, the belly would suck in and exhale, the belly goes out. And I, when I was in, it was actually yoga teacher training that this light bulb went off and I went, wait, I'm doing the exact opposite. 
And so I had to retrain how to breathe. And I did that through a breathing meditation practice. So part of it was retraining how to breathe properly. Because when you think about it, when you when you do like that, when you get spooked or scared and you do the, you know, your belly sucks in as you inhale. And so on a very subtle level, when we're reverse breathing, we're actually repeating that pattern of being on a very low grade fight or flight operation. So to some of us, it's retraining how to breathe properly. So remember, inhale, belly fills up like a balloon. Exhale, belly deflates and the and belly softens down. And then using that to calm the nervous system down as a start, longer, deeper breaths, like being in a back brace for so long, I had no idea how to breathe fully. Like it just wasn't even an option. Yeah. And I, many of us, we breathe up top, like where our collarbone is basically. And if we're not really engaging some of those lower diaphragmatic muscles, it's it's just not fully getting enough oxygen to our brains to be able to think clearly. Yeah. And so it was a combination, learning how to breathe, breathe deeper, and then also just noticing and being aware of the repeated thoughts that I would think over and over. And like you mentioned, the negative downward spiral and how those are learned. I think often we sometimes treat our thoughts like I'm a victim to them. Like this is just where they're going to go. And, you know, a lot of times they're learned from family. They're learned from, you know, just past habits that we've adopted. And as we know in neuroscience, what fires together, wires together, and it just becomes quicker. And mm -hmm. so I needed to learn tools. Meditation was one. And then also some energy healing techniques to disrupt the mental habit and to not take it personal. I think so often, especially for me, I consider myself an empath. Like I feel other people's feelings. I can take it on sometimes. I'm very sensitive to the energy around me. And so I will take in a lot of stimulation, whether that's emotions or noise or you know, whatever is around me. And so when we take all that in, the body gets very overwhelmed, as does the mind. And so it'll start that negative downward spiral. It starts usually with one little thing. And it could be so simple, like, oh, that noise really bothers me. Oh, I hope that noise doesn't keep going. Oh, what if it goes on all day? And then I won't be able to concentrate. And then I won't be able to do the work that I wanted. You know, you, you know, like, it just goes and goes and You, you and can't goes. hear that it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so to have a tool to like, just gently interrupt it and be like, nope, I'm not my thoughts. I can choose something different. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I find though that some people can't do that for, for whatever reason, they cannot do it without some type of whether physical or biochemical um, aid. I think that's probably because we are Right now in the modern world, we are experiencing just unprecedented levels of stress, mm -hmm. which, which is why I'm actually intrigued to hear about what these energy healing modalities you use. Because, you know, even like with my wife, she, she had a tough period after uh, our daughter was born of um, really just insomnia for quite a long time. And, mm. and, uh, it was very hard for her to snap herself out of the the psychological sort of torment of not being able to sleep. 
And, um, you know, we tried many things, including like she, she's, she's tried all the, you know, breathing stuff and, uh, emotional freedom technique, like tapping a lot of, we tried a lot of different supplements from CBD to theanine, to glycine, to GABA. Literally, I, I, I am an expert in sleep optimization when it comes to supplements and all these other like, uh, things, but, um, what energy healing techniques did you use because maybe there would there be some good ideas for for the listeners as well yeah i use i mean i use a variety of one i i do like eft or tapping with breath work i tend to combine a lot of the modalities that i've learned because i feel like when they're isolated and keep in mind it's really individual like each person is so i call it, we are our own unique energetic signature so what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for someone else and just really tuning in to and this is where ayurveda comes in ayurveda which is like considered the sister science of yoga looks at humans as we are this microcosm of the bigger macrocosm so of nature and this is why i am an avid hiker and i live in the country now so i can be closer to this macrocosm because i'm able to understand myself better so just really brief, brief introduction to Ayurveda. It is a system of energy within the elements. So the elements are simply water, earth, fire, air, and space, or sometimes it's called ether. Spirit, yeah. Mm -hmm. And each one of us is a collection of all those energies. Some of them in some of us are going to be more predominant. Like, for example, like someone who's very fiery, like they're usually pretty easy to identify. They're just Guilty. like that. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of had thoughts on that's why I brought it up. And yeah. we've only known each other for a short time. <laughs> but they're going to like be the movers and shakers and move forward and super focused and motivated, have a lot of goals in life. Like they just have that like fieriness to them. And not, and, other ones more like if they're more water element, they go with the flow. They're much slower pace, super compassionate people. You know, they're definitely like the healers and caretakers in our world. So there are certain energetic elements that are going to stand out. So consequently, there are different energy healing techniques or supplements. I still think supplements is energy when it all boils down to it. It's yep. energy, whether it's in a, a capsule or certain acupressure points that we, you know, press on or tap. Different modalities are going to work differently for different people. And I think for me, Ayurveda and acknowledging where those five elements are within ourselves can help figure out that balance and what's going to work most effectively for our constitution. Yeah, I have this really massive book on Ayurveda. It's um, thick. It's probably like 800 pages. And yeah. I've, I've tried to get into it a few times. We, we even, myself and my wife, we identified our um, dominant type. I think dosha. I, uh, dosha, yes. I was um, Pita predominantly. I think she was a Vata predominantly. Okay. And, and it, it was I always like to do that and kind of juxtapose it on top of Basically, so they, there's a certain foods that they tell you you need to steer clear of and certain foods to focus on. So it's interesting how when we do these things, very often my favorite foods or the ones that I would gravitate towards would mm -hmm. be the ones 
that are included. So I've done like genetic testing that tells you what kind of diet is best suited for you. I've done the metabolic typing test and those two are very, very close. So I think there's a lot of really awesome knowledge that we can extract. And especially with these uh, like uh, TCM, Ayurveda, there's just literally thousands of years of research and development of these modalities. So it, there's just, it, I think I'm more intimidated to begin because I know it's such a vast body of knowledge, if you know what I mean. And I want to respect it and be in the in the, the space of mind that I can devote, you know, a year of, you know, every day or, uh, you know, half an hour to an hour every day of reading about it. And until I do that, I'd rather not disrespect the modality by dabbling in and then talking, oh, this Ayurveda, that, and then you're just kind of giving liners from the book that you remember, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> I uh, but you've been studying this for quite a while, right? I have. And I'm going to note that you spoke that truly like a Pitta Dosha person, like <laughs> focused. I'm going all in and, you know, and I'm really going to study it. And I'm like, I love that. Um, I'm probably a little more like your wife. I'm more on the Vata side. I'm more of this air and space, creative, spiritual energy. And I have devoted many years to Ayurveda. And I also am this, like I mentioned, I like to blend different techniques. And not to say that those like Ayurveda within itself isn't a beautiful tradition and science. However, with my more air vata nature, I take what serves me um, and I creatively blend it with, you know, tapping, breath work, other things that I've used. And it works for me. It may not work for you. You might be like the deep dive, going to learn it all, get through the 800 page manual. And, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We need all the energies, just like we need, you know, all the unique signatures in this sure. world to, to create that macro, to create the whole. I would like to say what I do for myself and my clients is to make Ayurveda practical and simple in the modern lifestyle. Because you're right, it's over 5,000 years old. It is deep and rich and a lot of history and culture. And I think there's, you know, things that we can take from that and make it usable for modern lifestyle and things that we don't necessarily need, maybe not at this time, maybe we will later. I'm I'm open. But I do really love the premise of we are each our own unique elements within nature. We are all of them, but certain ones really stand out. And this is what is kind of not, um, I definitely think there's a place for Western medicine, but like we mentioned protocols, like they have certain protocols and they don't deviate much and don't take into consideration some of that unique energetic quality that each yeah. person has. So yeah. I'll give a perfect example of this. So people who are more vata, like more air, like we're going to be just more sensitive overall to herbal supplements, anesthesia, medication, like I always would say to the doctor, what does a child dose like? Like, what is that like? Because that's really what my body can really take because it is so sensitive. But of course, that's not protocol. Yeah. So oftentimes it would just be too much and it would kind of tailspin into other side effects, which I think many of us are familiar with the side effects of yeah. Western medicine and also herbal supplements also can have side effects. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, we, I, I am a little bit of a, I, I experiment with a lot of different supplements just because, first of all, I'm a little bit of a biohacker and just I'm interested in. So my wife is usually coming along for the journey and 
she's also <laughs> rather sensitive to things. But I, I tell you, Brenda, I can take like something that would give someone a detox reaction, like a, a herbal antipathogen pro herb or a mix of herbs. I could literally drink the whole bottle in one sitting and be like, okay, what? <laughs> but uh, someone like my wife should take th literally three or 10 drops or something like tiny amount and then it, it begins so exactly I, because I, yeah because fire so fire element the ayurvedic people call this agni and agni has a much broader definition than just fire digestive fire yeah. it has a whole like span so yes you probably digest and assimilate food supplements really well and fieriness in the mind is focused, fieriness like what you're passionate about. And so that comes really natural for you. For some of us, we've lost some of that fire or it just doesn't come as natural. And so that's my encouragement to people is to really look like, how do you tap into fire element? And what does that mean for you? Not just how well you digest food, Although that's important, absolutely. But also, like, like what gets you fired up and want to make an, a positive impact in this world? That is also Agni or that Pitta Dosha that we can also bring in. And, and it correlates. So someone to ask who's the other Dosha we haven't mentioned is Kapha. Mm. Kaphas are this beautiful earth water element. I always say every single person needs to have friends that have this dosha in them. They are just this grounded earth, easygoing, slower flow to them. And it, they kind of counteract what's going on in the crazy modern world. <laughs> mm. So I always say find, you know, grounding practices, find people that embody this and hang around them mm. and just see see where it takes you. For some people, it might drive them crazy because they're like, why don't they move faster? <laughs> why don't they get stuff more stuff done? <laughs> and, and, and other people may be like, oh, they are just like <laughs> the chillest people to hang out with. Yeah. So just know that we all have these like really beautiful balancing qualities. Mm. A kapha person, though, may not have a lot of fire. And granted, we all have some, but they might need the person like you, Pitta Dosha, to give them a good little, like, kick in the pants to, yeah. <laughs> to get something done. I love that. Uh, the way you paint that picture, I can really visualize when you say someone is an earth water. I can, I, I see like an archetype of the person and then I yeah. try to see which of my friends or people I know or family members are that type you know it, mm -hmm. actually I, I wish I wish I instead of going from a big massive manual I had something like even like someone maybe the like uh, when I listen to your podcast more I'll, I'll get more just kind of visual visualizations of of the the concepts and the principles of it instead of getting super scientific and every nitty-gritty detail you know what I mean yeah and yeah. and that's the the beauty of Ayurveda and yoga, meditation, all these really beautiful holistic tools that we can pull in and can serve us in a way that most matches up to what's a best fit. Uh, and that's what I really love to teach people is, is not like I always say, I love to teach people how to fish. I mean, yes, I could fish for them, but ultimately if I can teach them, you know, here are these 
energy healing techniques or yoga postures to embody, you know, and then as creators, because we, we are all such powerful creators in our own unique way. And I think oftentimes we forget this, um, that we get to create our own healing journey. And we do need support along the way because it's still a roller coaster sure. uh, at times. But to just really embrace who we are and look at, okay, what tools most work for me? And the ones that don't, we'll just set those to the side, but they might work for somebody else. Absolutely. I like that teach a man to fish and all that. I like a, a, this one better. If you light a man a fire, you keep him warm for a day. If you light a man on fire, you keep him warm for the rest of his life. Yes. Spoken like a but, true pitta. I love dies. it. <laughs> <laughs> In case anybody out there didn't get it. But you know, it's, it's so funny that I'm a fire sign as well. I'm an Aries, right? Oh, okay. My, yeah. So I've always been like I... Even if I don't drink coffee, I remember when I, I quit coffee for a month and I'd be buzzing in the morning and my wife was like, are you back on the coffee? I'm like, no, no, you know me. Like I just, but um, she's a water <laughs> sign. And mm -hmm. I, I always like, I always have these kind of zany, crazy ideas. <clears throat> and she kind of, I now I, I joke with her, you're pouring water on my fire. As soon as I have an idea, she can, comes in with the practical aspects, you know, ah, can you really do that? Is that, do you think that's really possible? But it's funny that our daughter, she is a, an earth sign. So, okay. Maybe that's like the the unif unification of of our signs. You know what I mean? And yeah. it would be really funny if if the next child is um uh, an air sign. That would really kind of complete the the can't even call it a trifecta. I don't even know what to call it. The, all of the signs and that would maybe I don't know. I don't know what it is, but um, it seems very interesting how we we complement each other. These qualities yeah. of fire and water really complement each other. Absolutely. We're, we're designed, we're designed to be in community. Like that's how we are meant to heal ourselves, heal other people. It's a ripple effect. And, you know, we'll draw in the people. Like I always say, if, if I, if I want to get a project done, if I want something to be really focused, like I draw in, those fiery people. Mm -hmm. If I want to relax more, if I want to just, you know, not take things so seriously, then I'll draw in that earth, water, Cappadocia person. And if I want to have like a creative, lighthearted time, then that Vata airspace person comes in. And we can all identify within ourselves and the other people. I really think that's how universe uh, works in this macro vision of how we need the support and accountability to really help one another out. We're not meant to figure it all out on our own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about, uh, I'm such a nerd about, again, herbs and supplements. What are some of your favorite uh, herbal preparations from Ayurveda that you, you use on yourself or with your clients? Mm. Well, I always say before we get into supplements, and I say this with my clients, because that's one of the, the biggest questions. It's either like, what am I supposed to eat and what supplements are going to work? And I say, before we get into that, let's back up. I think actually more important than those two things is how we eat. And this gets down to mindfulness. And I, for some people, this might be like, well, what difference is that going to make? 
I see a lot of people, and we see this if you go to a restaurant or you know a coffee shop, they're scrolling on their phone while they're feeding themselves, totally distracted. And when we get down to the root of food as medicine, supplements, I kind of put those all in the same energy. They are meant to nourish us. And if we do not feel the nourishment, this is when we get in trouble with like emotional eating, um, when we overeat, you know, and all the chronic inflammatory issues that that basically come from being overweight and obese because we're not fully present with our food as medicine. And I get it, you know, living in, I'm, you know, in the United States here, first world country, I go to the grocery store, I can pick from so many different varieties. It's not like I have to hunt and gather for my food. So it's kind of effortless. I just go to the store, pick it up or the farmer's market. So really eating is meant to be a ritual. And I think we've forgotten that. And so the first thing I have my clients do is to sit, number one, not in a car, ideally, but to sit and be present with their food and to really take in. And I don't even initially get into the what to eat yet, because oftentimes we just shovel it in Hmm. and we're not even sure like what it tasted like. Ayurveda is very much into taste. Like how does it feel in the mouth? When does the saliva secrete? Just things like that, that I think in our modern culture, We've just forgotten to be fully present with the nourishment that we are blessed to have. So that's number one. Love that. Yeah. Number two is the when we eat. Uh, And this kind of spills off into emotional eating. Just like we have a period like night and day. We have a time when we are meant to be active and awake. And we have a period when we're meant to sleep, sleep well. So same with eating. We are meant to rest and digest. And I think oftentimes we focus a little too much on the digest. People who eat and graze all day long or who, you know, have breakfast and a couple hours of snack and then lunch and then another snack. And then we are really meant to rest our digestive system. And if we are not doing that in in my training in Ayurveda, it's two or three meals per day, no snacking. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they think, oh, I, I could never do that. I, I would never make it from breakfast to lunch. And I'm like, you'd actually be surprised how resilient the digestive system is. Now, granted, there are some rare conditions, like if someone's gone through chemo or they're very underweight that they need to eat more often. But for generally most people speaking, like to learn to rest our digestive system is another piece of how to consciously eat healthy. So not to interrupt your like what you eat in herbs. I'm I feel like Tell those thing, Brenda. Like <laughs> I, why, right? why are you making it hard? I gotta do all these things now. I gotta bless my food. <laughs> right. And I always love to explore like what does food represent to people? You know, and a lot of people would be like, oh, I remember, you know, my grandmother used to bake me cookies after school. And and that's a really heartfelt emotion. But then consequently, they might be eating cookies, you know, every day, you know, all day long. And so just to really identify, like, what emotional attachments do I have to the foods that I eat? And not judging, Yeah, you know. I'm sure grandma made some amazing cookies, not going to discount that, but to just identify, like, is this really the best 
um, choice for me. Because oftentimes we replace food for emotions that need to be healed. So that's my disclaimer with people like pay attention to how you eat and pay attention to when you eat to have enough time to rest the digestive system. Otherwise, it's just go, go, go. And the digestive tract just doesn't get a break. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So then we get into the what. In Ayurveda, seasonal eating is a key component. And then also nuanced with like how powerful the digestive system is. So here I'm I'm in the United States. We're shifting into fall season. And so it's moving from summer season, which was more like cool, raw type of vegetables. And now we're going into more like cooked squashes, more warming, higher fat, oily foods, good fats, of course. But it's essentially, you know, whole food, plant-based, shift it with the seasons as much as possible. I get it depending on where somebody lives. That may not be the case. And then I don't advocate, you know, oh, you have to be a vegetarian or you have to be a vegan. Again, I think that goes a lot with someone's personal beliefs and their constitution. But as long as, you know, we're focusing on whole foods that nourish, that truly nourish us, then we can get into the nuances of what to eat. And that could, that could be a whole other podcast episode <laughs> right there. And then as far as supplements, I always say that depends on how well you are eating because food is medicine. And then I really have been getting into adaptogens. Uh, ashwagandha is kind of a go-to for me right now. I love golden milk. Have you had golden milk lately? Uh, I, ha- <clears throat> I, have, uh, I have it here. I haven't had it in quite a while though. Yeah. Um, that tends to be more for like fall winter season, but you know, turmeric with, and then I also put some ashwagandha in there. That's very warming and nourishing. And so again, it really goes back to what are, what are we trying to balance and how can that supplement if we can't get it in a whole food form, if it, if that's not possible, which that can definitely be the case then start looking into what am I lo- looking to balance in my own constitution? Mm. Yeah, actually, ashwagandha is something we, myself and my wife, have been taking. N- not all the time. All the, you, you kind of need a break from the adaptogens or most oh, yeah. things. But um, Jesus, I think three, four years, easily three years we've been taking ashwagandha. And we have um, quite a lot of... I don't use <clears throat> a lot of herbs myself. But uh, especially now, more before, but my wife has been using Shatavari and um, mm-hmm. Shizandra. That's, and, that's um, great for women's health. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Rhodiola. That's another mm-hmm. great one. Yep. And the, the, all the ginsengs, you know, Siberian. What was the other one? Panax. I forget which one was which one was the American one. But um, yeah, those are really good. And even, <clears throat> excuse me. Because we we ran a hormone test on my wife, so her testosterone was quite low. So we've been using maca root and okay. uh, even tribulus terrestris to kind of increase the androgens, uh, androgenic production. But th- those would be kind of I wouldn't really use most of those except ashwagandha in the evening. It it, it seems to really lower the cortisol and just help to promote really good sleep. But yes, that's what an adaptogen does, doesn't it? If, if you take it in the morning, it won't lower your cortisol so you, you feel sleepy. You 
you actually have more resistance to fatigue with it. Yes. And, and that is the beauty of adaptogens. And I'm still going to put in my little plug. If we're looking to lower cortisol, I still think the go-to practices are like deep breath work because that calms the nervous system, whole food diet that we're not, you know, drinking coffee or anything that's really stimulating, even spicy foods like peppery spicy foods can be overstimulating for some people. Having some type of grounding practice because I mean, this is where it, I'm not trying to say don't take supplements, but I'm saying have these other practices in place, connect to your body have a breath work practice. Yes, not just breathing that we do involuntarily, but actually conscious breathing. Be mindful with our thoughts, our foods, the people that we are in front of. Like have those things. It doesn't have to be perfect, you know, absolutely. But when we have those things in place, food as medicine as well, some type of spiritual connection, not religious, but something where we get out of our thinking heads and remember that, you know, I am so much more than my thoughts, some kind of ritual practice that we love to do. And when those things are in place, then look at, okay, here's where I'm still feeling out of balance and here's where supplements and even teas. Like I think sometimes we forget, especially for people who do tend to be sensitive, keep in mind that that little capsule of whatever the supplement might be can be super potent. Yeah. Like I have to really watch how much turmeric I take. Yeah. And sometimes I'll <clears throat> I'll just use whole turmeric or I split the capsule in half because it's just too much. So if you do tend to be a sensitive individual, maybe it's a turmeric tea. Mm. I love liver detox tea. Uh, I do that more so like spring and fall. Those are traditional times for detoxification and Ayurveda, but that have dandelion root and burdock root and milk thistle mm. that can really help cleanse the liver. So I know we tend to think supplements only as things in capsules or tablets, but herbal teas and essential oils can be just as powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh I mean, I kind of forgot what I was going to say. I, I also do a um, spring and autumn liver cleanse. Uh, have you have you done any liver flushes in your life? I have, actually. Yeah. When So fast forward, after my spinal fusion surgery, after my second pregnancy, I was diagnosed with a digestive autoimmune condition. Yikes. And my liver was liver and gallbladder both mm -hmm. were just so depleted and part of that was too much antibiotic use part of that was i do have metal in my body and the liver takes it all on mm -hmm. uh, and so i have to be really clean with my eating and the liver being the main detoxifier is key for that yeah. and so i do i do what's called a kitchery cleanse, which is done either in spring and or fall, sometimes both, depending on the person. And then also using those liver detox, tea, sometimes herbs. I stick with tea. I feel like that serves me best mm -hmm. to basically give my digestion a break. Yeah. And so I'd be curious, what do you do for liver detox? I know you're, you're a bit of an expert on that one. So no, I mean, like I'm, I'm an expert in nothing. I just, uh, I'm a student in a lot of things, but the, the, the liver cleanse, the, 
that I do is basically you need to take malic acid for six days. And okay. uh, on the sixth day, you eat basically just rice or oats or just fruits until lunch. So you have a couple of meals, no protein, no uh, fat especially. And then you drink Epsom salts twice to dilate the bile ducts yeah. uh, and clear the way in the intestine. <clears throat> and then at uh, basically 10, 10, 10 o'clock before bed, you drink half a cup of olive oil. Olive oil and, and lemon. And, yeah, lemon, citrus. And you, you immediately li lie down in bed and because you've all your bio is in your gallbladder, it's yep. the the sudden you know fat uh, coming into the into the um, small intestine causes you to basically spew it, spew all the bile out and from the liver as well because the the liver's um, cells are constantly making bile, and when we have these stones that are congesting the tiny little bile ducts, they can coalesce from little crystals to to these massive stones. And I've had I've passed big stones uh, as big as you know my this part of my thumb, you know, the bigger wow. than my thumbnail. And even some black ones that were quite hard that it took me several flushes to get those out. They were really hard when you press them. It could have been mineral stones. But um, in fact, the, the guy that I learned it from his book, Andreas Moritz, he was saying that some people with scoliosis, I remember reading in the book, it could be from, it, it could be exacerbated by liver stones. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I do that twice a year, and I find when I do those uh, more strictly, I don't, I don't have colds and flus and stuff because a lot of these colds and flus I don't, I don't even believe are actually pathogens. I believe it's just we get some type of signal from the whatever the prevailing frequency around us is, and we initiate and the high temperature that we that we give rise to makes the the cellular water less viscous. So it allows for a lot more, quote unquote, junk, gunk, toxins mm -hmm. to come out, whether that's through phlegm, through tears, through sweat, <clears throat> obviously through through the digestive tract, uh, urine. So I, I think when, when I do these, when I do my bacterial cleanses, you know, twice a year, I just don't get sick as often and I, I don't have any other health issues, you know, coming up like fatigue that's, or whatever else. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, a healthy digestive tract. I mean obviously is key for energy and just living the productive life that we all want to. And and I would also include, in addition to the physical toxins that our liver takes on, a part of my healing journey from autoimmunity was the mind toxins. Mm. And again, I feel like this was almost like another layer that surfaced from having the scoliosis surgery and pain. And then further down, I'm, you know, a mother of, of two daughters. And wouldn't have noticed it at first, but when I really look at all that I was stomaching, you know, trying to, you know, have it together as, you know, a newer mom at that point and not asking for help and trying to keep work going and all the things. And I was stomaching other people's emotions. And so consequently, it's interesting how I started having digestive issues and what later came of that is realizing that, first of all, I don't need to take on other other people's emotions and stomach them because that literally directly affects our digestion. 
And I was thinking really like a sick person. And I hadn't noticed that before. But again, it took an interruption. And again, I used tapping and some other breathing techniques to realize that, oh my gosh, I'm starting the negative downward spiral. It's a different trigger. Usually it's, you know, at the time my daughter was a toddler and she would have the usual toddler tantrum. And then, oh, why am I not a good mom? Why can't I figure this out? You know, why is she behaving this way? What am I doing wrong? And so again, it, w- it would kind of kick off and then it would start into, why does my stomach hurt again? There really must be something wrong, you know, and holding the physical tension and the mental tension in there did contribute to some of the inflammation. Not, not saying that there probably, there wasn't some bacteria and viral issues as well, but it's like this perfect storm yeah, yeah. of you get the physical issues okay. in there and the mental emotional issues that come in there and recognizing that I'm again, giving away my power and choosing to think like someone who expects to have you know, digestive issues. And I'm not saying all of a sudden the next day I turned around and said, oh, my digestion's great. Everything's perfect. You know, it wasn't that, but it's that slow turning the barge around and realizing, okay, new decisions need to be made. Asking for help is key, whether that's help having someone watch my kids, you know, for the afternoon so mom can get a break. And then really, again, going back to nourishing myself while still taking care of young ones. So I, I look at our some of our most challenging, struggling times, and we, we won't see it in the moment because it's like we're in it. Like when we're in the pain, when we're in the digestive, autoimmune, whatever our suffering is, when we're in it, we don't always see the possibility of a teacher and the deepening of our own self-awareness in the moment. And I, and I really hope your listeners take that in. Like, I know oftentimes it feels like we're being punished or we didn't do something correct. Or, you know, we followed the doctor's orders and it didn't work. Why didn't it work? What did I do wrong? And so when we start that, it can be really hard to kind of pull ourselves out of that stream of thought. Absolutely. So true. Uh, I think and so many young moms or any mom at any age, uh, just their health gets wrecked i don't know is it because now we're like these nuclear families that we don't have the quote-unquote village raising the kids i know i remember when we were kids uh back in bulgaria you know you, you could be with your um cousins playing uh the other ones and then your aunt your uncle there was always someone there to to give the parents a hand so they could go to work or rest or whatever else nowadays there's like families are just smaller and we it a lot of it piles on the mom because you know the dad might be working you 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 know you still need to have an income but the mom has to be at home with the with the kid or two kids and that really i i have some clients that just their health got destroyed through this so um i like i really like your your perspectives they really i i believe our our approach is really complement each other. You were coming in from a more uh, feminine energy, right? <laughs> and I really love that. And mine is a, little, a lot more sort of masculine. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like 
you know, do, let's do some lab tests. Let's get some data, nuts and bolts. These are the mechanisms. Zinc will do this for the immune system. You know, magnesium will optimize this. And not that, like, again, I, I do recommend things like EFT and and I, I have studied breathing with Patrick McKeown, you know, Boteco mm. Clinic. So I do recommend other things, but I'm more kind of like the, you know, let, let's get to the root of the issue. But I, I totally agree that it whether whether it's a bacteria that started the stomach issue, whether it's psychosomatic, whether it's generational trauma, we have because the body is a complex system, we have mm-hmm. many different points of impact to the body. So we, we could approach it from a you know kinesthetic thing with EFT. We could approach it from a nervous system uh, aspect with the with the breathing, uh, neurological, you know, with the with the mind, uh, with the meditation, the mindfulness stuff. Or we could be more mechanistic with you know biochemical with with the nutrients. But in all instances, we're going to have a positive impact. So I think when we use a complementary apl- approach, because the body is a complex system, that's where we get the best results. So we can we we may or may not test for the bugs. We may or may not you know use probiotics, antipathogen herbs, but we most certainly will be using, you know, the stuff you talk about, eating more mindfully, uh, meditation, optimizing sleep, l- analyzing the what emotions are feeding into the, the vicious cycle and then trying to interrupt that cycle. I love that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to quote my one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Wayne Dyer. He's since passed and, and, and he simply, and I might be paraphrasing somewhat, but he says, we, we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. And so for me, that was a huge shift. And we have to really ask ourselves, who is the person I want to become? And what does she look like? Like, how does she eat? How does she move? How does she interact with people? And to me, that's the inner motivation to to use the holistic tools, to research and say, okay, this is the supplement that I need. It comes from this place. Like I say, I want to become a person who loves myself so much that I choose to do these practices. And thus the ripple effect, my daughters see this and they, I'm present with them and they choose to be a healthy person, not because they should or, you know, it, they, they're hoping it won't lead to something bad, but that it comes from this place of genuine self-love. And we see that out in nature. You know, the seasons, there's different changes in seasons, and it's all, you know, from a place of love, the sunrise, the sunset, the ocean, like whatever, you know, you gravitate towards that represents universal love that is within us. And when we tap into that, the who do I want to become? Then I feel like the the practices or the person or the opportunities that we need, they draw into us. We don't have to like force it and look for it and try really hard. And this is part of that. Like, I know manifesting sometimes gets a bad (laughs) rap right now, but I do think that there is not so much the attraction of the what we want, but the who we are and who we want to become in this lifetime that we that we get to be in right now. Yeah, yeah. I we I have one friend of mine on the show a couple of times, Brandon Thomas. He's all about the manifestation. Uh, so we, we've talked about that topic. You know, his he actually he I should introduce you guys to each other. I think you will hit it off. He's super positive. He's probably the most positive 
person I've I've met in my life. So awesome. I think. Well, that's yeah. the beauty of podcasting. We mentioned that we get to meet yeah. really cool people in all parts of the world, and I'm excited to have you on our show, Be the Love Podcast, soon. That's gonna be fun. It's yes. gonna be fun. I I love I I love these topics. In fact, we we we'll probably have you again in the future because I I know there's actually a lot to unpack. Again, this is why I love different perspectives because. Another dude that I um, I interviewed a while back, very wise, he said something along the lines of, "There, there are many ways to the top of the mountain, right? So when you're at the bottom of the mountain, there's many, many different paths, almost infinite paths. The closer mm-hmm. you get to the top of the mountain, the more the same things look. And when you're at the top, whether you came up there through Ayurveda, another person came through TCM, Another person came through, you know, mechanistic modern medicine. When we get at the top, we we are basically seeing the same things. So, and I, I've also noticed the better you get at do, get at doing things, the easier and simpler, more importantly, things become. You know, so absolutely. And the way you break it down, it's like, does it does it matter so much what you're eating? Do you have to know exactly what vitamins and minerals are in that food, or why don't we start with the basic things? Are you even sitting down and getting getting in a parasympathetic state? Because yes. if you're like running around, let's say one of my clients is uh, works in the service industry, a chef, very stressful job. I told her, look, and it, a lot of gut stuff there. I told her, look, we need to get you relaxing before you start putting food inside yourself. So sit down, express gratitude, do some tapping, just anything you can do to to get into that state before you're ready to eat. And, you know, we, we did some things and there was improvement, you know? Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of times it's not, uh, people sometimes think, oh, I have to make these huge lifestyle changes. And honestly, sometimes it's just small, small little things that, you know, get us to where we want to go and the who we want to become. And those small little shifts then lead to other little shifts. And then it's like they build on one another. And then before we know it, we're like, you know what? I sit down at every meal and I breathe before I eat so that I am in that parasympathetic state. Not saying it it was an overnight process, but just small incremental change to get there. Absolutely. I'm such a, I'm so bad about that because even today, just my last meal, I was I was up on my feet trying to get get my meal in. So because I had client calls and then I had to come back here, you know, talk to you. So I I actually am gonna have to take a page out of our own book here and start being <laughs> a little bit more mindful because it does see it doesn't affect me because I'm I'm healthy metabolically, but mm-hmm. it's not optimal. And you know we have to practice what we preach at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Well, Brenda. This was an absolute pleasure. I do have one question that I've been asking all my guests. It's for my Solutions Talk segment that will eventually start getting published. So the question to you is, what are you doing that others can do also to increase their freedom, self-reliance, autonomy, and or resilience to the challenges that we face this decade and beyond? Mm, What a powerful question. What am I doing? 
I create morning and evening rituals. Now, some people might call those routines, but I refer because they are sacred times for myself in the early morning, in the evening before I go to bed. I call them my bookends, the bookends of my day. And in the morning, I set my intention and I embrace this idea that I am a creator and then I move from my day from there. And then at the end of the day, I we mentioned gratitude. I write down three things that I was grateful for that day. And this is the most important part. I write down three things or situations or people that I'm going to be grateful for the next day. So I'm already setting up my mind to be in a state of gratitude when I wake up. Love it. That's awesome. All right, then can you tell the folks where they can find you on the internet and where they can connect with you? Absolutely. The best place to find me is on my website, which is sacredpathyogaandreiki.com. I do have online programs that are a fusion of Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, different energy healing techniques that are geared towards empathic people, highly sensitive people to help bring in that vibrant house so they can be the ripple effect. They can be the positive impact maker in this in this lifetime that we get. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and check me and my co-host Stacy out on Be The Love podcast. We are on our third, well, coming up to the end of our third year spiritual podcast And we have just some really amazing conscious conversations, how to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet. And we're looking forward to seeing you there, Christian. Awesome. Likewise, just going to ask you, do you think how empathic or sensitive would you rate me on a one to 10? Oh, geez, you're putting me on the spot. I would have to say highly pitta, maybe not as empathic, but could still be very sensitive because you mentioned your wife. And, and your daughter, I would say seven and a half. Yeah, probably. I tell I'm pretty sensitive, almost pathologically sensitive, overthinking things and noticing every sort of twitch of a person or every facial expression and overanalyzing. It's not been, it's not been easy, you know, over the years. It really hasn't been because it just creates so much anxiety if you don't sort of let go of things. You know? It can. And I would say, and with some holistic tools, like I do a lot of energetic boundary work, it it can actually be such a superpower, Mm. I think. Yeah, I think the older I get, the less I just, the less I'm sort of bothered with the external world, I suppose, which is part of the maturation process of every child, I guess. So I'm not as bothered by it anymore. So anyway, we can discuss that another time. Sounds great. So thank you again for coming on the show. That was lovely. Thank you, Christian.